Good afternoon, evening, morning, whatever time of day it is when you're listening to this. And welcome to the Talking Thomas podcast. I'm Tony. And I'm Orion. And we're here to talk about uh, all things Thomas, including Shining Time Station, everything, the good, the bad, the spooky, and in some cases, the sad. And unfortunately, uh, we're going to be opening this episode on a bit of a sad note, uh, because the Shining Time Station fandom has uh, lost one of its, I would, its major players, let's say. Um we received news on Tuesday morning uh, that Alan Seamock, who was a member of the Flexitoons and did the voice of Tets as well as the puppetry for Tets and during the first season, Grace, uh, passed away uh, after suffering a severe stroke last week. So... um. That was quite sad for me to hear. Uh, I I heard found out when I shortly after waking up, um, and you know Tets and Rex, uh, the whole Jukebox Puppet Band were a big part of Shining Time Station, and they were one of my favorite parts personally. And uh, it's it's rather sad to lose a a member of something that I hold so dear. So, uh, what are your thoughts, Orion? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, it's a, a it's definitely a great loss for for the legacy of Shining Time Station. Um, fortunately, uh, hopefully, all of you out there follow Craig Marin on Facebook. Um, I'm not sure that he's terribly active on Twitter, but on Facebook, he often posts behind the scenes stories or pictures of Shining Time Station. So definitely seek him out on there. He's a uh, he's definitely a uh, you know just a fountain of of great pieces of uh, of information and history of shining time station and specifically of course the the jukebox puppet band's role in the show um but uh, and he also has some other great projects that he works on too and has worked on in the past that he shares uh, pictures from so if you're just uh, in general a, a puppetry fan definitely a page worth uh, taking a look at that's a craig marin craig and olga marin um were the founders of a flexitune who of course, were the uh, the main puppeteers, creators, uh, overall overseers of the Jukebox Puppet Band on Shining Time Station. Yes. Uh, Alan Seamock also has the designation of being the only member of the Fletchitunes to appear on screen during the run of the show. In the season one episode, Show and Yell, he played a not entirely fictionalized version of himself in a couple of scenes towards the beginning of the show. Uh, and actually his character is what kicks off uh, the entire storyline for show and yell as that episode has to do with puppets. Um, Alan Seamock was known as uh, I believe the dummy doctor. That was his nickname throughout the, uh, the puppetry and ventriloquy uh, circuit. So, Again, a very sad loss for all fans of Shining Time Station, uh, but he will be remembered fondly in our hearts. Uh, so, uh, going on, we have another Shining Time Station commentary to give you tonight. And just in time for Halloween, uh, we are doing 
the episode Things That Go to Who During the Night. Uh, we decided that, uh, as we mentioned a few podcasts ago, uh, we decided that uh, after doing the first two episodes that we would do discussions on the rest of the show and do commentaries on episodes that we thought were important uh, or featured a significant focus on certain big holidays. And uh, this is one of them. And so if you're listening to it on Halloween, then uh, it'll be a lot of fun. And so we're going to kick off with, again, things that go to Hooga in the night. Press play now. So the yeah thing is, I always get this episode confused with Scared Airs, partly because, as I'd said previously, I haven't really i hadn't really been exposed to season one other than tis a gift until i was well into my teens and i, I always imagine I, I for some reason i always think that this is the one that has um what am i afraid of in uh, i believe it was the anything tunnel but uh it is not it isn't that is in fact scared as that does that although uh things to go to who tonight is a fabulous episode yeah absolutely this was um i didn't end up seeing this episode until uh until I saw it on YouTube, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, but yeah, it's a, I would say it's definitely one of the highlights of season one. Um, and uh, looking forward to, uh, to watching the, the rest of this episode. Definitely. And I like the nightmare, um, the nightmare plot here. Um, it's a, uh, I like that little, uh, zip line <laughs> yes. technique there. Um, and uh, the, the enthusiasm um, of Leonard Jackson as, as Harry um, was nice compared to the more subdued nature of, um, of Billy Two Feathers. So um, it, it's nice to, to have that enthusiasm enthusiasm here in this episode shown yes and and harry is definitely very proud of this uh invention that he's made up um of course this episode uh takes place mostly at night uh because stacy has to uh, stay over to overnight to collect the night mail and the invention that harry makes is to uh it's the, the idea is so that he, so that Stacy won't have to stay overnight, but she wants to anyway. It's it's it, it's an exciting thing for her to do, you know. So, absolutely, and and it's it's also quite interesting that at this point in Thomas's history, uh, there hadn't been any discussion of a mail train, um, really, or or uh, or anything like that, other than uh, uh, a little bit of mail information uh, given about Sodor in mind that bike um right which would have which would have been out by this time but not the of course not the tv series adaptation but thomas percy and the mail train uh wouldn't come until a few years later so it's quite interesting it is because uh, this takes place in 1989 and uh the 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 story that orion's referring to of course uh does mind that bike did get written into the railway series in 1984 and so for for uh, but really useful engines. Eighty three, actually. Eighty three. I'm sorry. Yes, eighty three. And we did our first shot of Mr. Conductor coming out of a top hat. 
Yeah, they're st- starting to get a bit more creative with him here, um, it, appearing in different ways as opposed to just popping up, out, you know, uh, standing on something. But in- instead, he, he is popping out of something. Um, but they definitely making good use of their blue screen, oh, yes. limited blue screen technology they had at the time. Yes. But I buy it. I think it still holds up to a certain degree. Oh, definitely. I mean, as a child, I definitely bought that there was a, you know, foot and a half tall conductor, you know? (laughs) Yeah. So. And I do think, because we said in the first two commentaries that uh, some of the acting was a bit from the kids. Of course, I don't want to be too hard on them because they are kids, but some of the acting was a bit wouldn't i do think they i do think that they improved over the season i think definitely and uh we're already jumping into the first thomas story here they didn't wait very long um and no appearance by schemer yet in the episode either right. so we just jump jump right into uh the thomas episode ghost train um and then later re- released on u.s video as percy's ghostly trick right which uh, for those of you that are listening to these commentaries in the order that we've released them is jumping ahead quite a bit because we are still at the time of recording doing the season one commentaries and uh, ghost train is a season two episode for Thomas and friends. So uh, we have not covered it yet, but at some point we most definitely will. Absolutely. And at this point, I mean, I, I think it's safe to say that this is definitely one of our favorite episodes of the of the series. I would say oh, it's, yes. it's a, a universally liked episode of the classic series of Thomas. Um, but uh, don't want to talk about this one too much, right. but it definitely is a uh, is a, a great fit for this episode, of course. Um, yes. Wooly Bear. Maybe not as much later on, um, but they didn't really have any other nighttime spooky episodes yet. So uh, they weren't really able to do much with that. Um, if this had been made at the time of uh, season five of Thomas, then they would have had about 26 episodes to choose from, would you say? True. Uh, very, very true, because at the point in which they're making Shining Temptation in 1989, they really only had, well, they only had seasons one and two. And so of those episodes of those 20 uh, of those episodes from seasons one and two there's only one that's really spooky and of course that's ghost train uh of course ghost train fits very well as a you know a a thomas story within a halloween episode and uh you know because it features ghosts and it is spooky i remember my i myself remember being a little weirded out uh by ghost train when i was a kid you know um well i was little obviously i well you know like three or four so yeah absolutely it's interesting hearing ringo's narration for this because neither his narration of woolly bear or ghost train were released on home video in the u.s and i specify home video uh, because when I was a child, I have a distinct memory of having a a paperback book that had the Duck and Diesel trilogy plus Wooly Bear. 
and the paperback book came with a cassette tape narrated by Ringo. And so it was interesting in that the there was an audio cassette of Ringo's narration, but not of his, uh, but but not a video of Wooly Bear. And so yeah. yeah, so that that would have been Diesel's devious deed, I believe, is the correct. Name of that book correct? Um, I didn't remember Wooly Bear being in there, but but of course, yeah, the the Duck and Diesel trilogy would be in there given the title, right? Um, but I big fan of those Random House. Uh, picture back books I yes. believe is what they called them at the time yes um, but those were great and often featured some alternate angles or deleted scenes from uh from from season one and two episodes so those were those were always great and i i believe i had almost all of them that were released up and up to a certain point i never owned diesel's devious deed but i remember distinctly getting it out of my library right um my local library at, at the time when i was about uh, four or five years old um, I never had any of them with the cassette. I always wanted them, but never, never ended up getting them. Always just ended up ended up getting the the book alone. Right. Um, so it didn't have that pleasure of, of hearing the Ringo narrations on that. But uh, but yeah, of course, uh, Percy's ghostly trick. The episode was later released on home video as the on the the VHS titled Percy's Ghostly Trick and other Thomas stories and and uh, as was Wooly Bear. And the narration was done by George Carlin. So yes, which of course is the narration that I'm more used to. But with Wooly Bear, because I did listen to the uh, audio cassette so much, I I can sort of go back and forth between. I, I I enjoy both equally, both George Carlin and Ringo Starr's narration of that story. So yes. And of course, here we have the uh, wrap up of the story, which which they seem to do more in season one. I know they do it in seasons uh, two and three and beyond, but uh, season one does seem to feature more of a wrap up to each story after it's happened. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that they were still kind of uh, feeling their way, testing the waters, seeing uh, if they did they need to. Uh, you know, more explicitly state the moral of each episode um, afterward, or could they just leave it alone? Right. It's quite interesting. Um, and that was actually, uh, for those of you who have seen the the one George Carlin interview that he gave for METV Legends or the Archive of American Television, uh, they asked him about Shining Time Station and his involvement with the show. And he talked about how he enjoyed that the stories um, specifically the Thomas stories didn't talk down to children that they, uh, and that the, the morals weren't jammed down their throat. They were um, more uh, kind of gently massaged um, in, into the, uh, into the minds of, of children, as opposed to some other shows at the time, perhaps um, such as Barney, the dinosaur, or, um, right. something of that nature. Yes. Now this character, Wendy, I, I distinctly remember seeing her on another children's television program, but I don't remember what it was. And she just looks very familiar to me, and I love her hat. <laughs> that is a wonderful hat. This moment here just feels very season one. Oh, yes. Again, quite, quite slow-paced um, and not... Uh, the other seasons would be a lot more. 
fast pace, of course. And it's quite interesting. I believe that the, that if this episode had been uh, had been done later, perhaps for the third season of the show, they would have released it on home video um, as a standalone I'm for sure. Halloween. Um, because some of the episodes that they chose to release on home video later out of those uh, later seasons didn't quite always make sense for why they picked that particular episode. No. Um, but, but this one, I, I, I think they most likely would have as a nice Halloween tie in because the only one released from this season for, uh, for home video was tis a gift. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that's, that's exactly correct. They, they never really, released season one outside of tis a gift on uh, home vhs which is a shame really and maybe it was something to do with the way that the rights were handled i don't really know i'm not an expert in that but i would think it had something to do with rights restrictions at the time and maybe they just weren't allowed to and then by the time that tis a gift rolled around maybe they were because if you recall season Tis a Gift takes place a year after season one because it was released just in time for Christmas of 1990. Right, absolutely. Um, and I believe by that time they had gone to Toronto, is that correct? They had, yes. And okay. so uh, Tis a Gift is the first of many things. We'll, we'll, in fact, we will do an episode on Tis a Gift when it's nearer to Christmas, I believe. And so, uh, but we'll go into more of it there. But yes, um, Tis a Gift was filmed in was the first one filmed in Toronto because uh, right now they were still filming in New York. Something that's quite interesting, actually, is that with the um, season one has this kind of yellowish hue. We may have touched on this in other uh, in our other two commentary episodes for right uh, for the uh, the first season here. But it's interesting that this yellow lighting makes Brian O'Connor look older. Uh, than he does in in other seasons um, with the 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 brighter white lighting. It um, does. It's, it's quite interesting. He he just look he he almost looks five years older here than he does in any of the other seasons, which is just quite interesting. It is. It, the, uh, I think his hair is also flatter uh, in this first is. season. He slicks it down and up, whereas in the other ones, it's more slicked back and then has the curl. Um, so he, yeah. he looks a little bit older there too. And the curl is different in season one than it is in season two and beyond, isn't it? Uh, yes, absolutely. But uh, probably shouldn't go too deep in the discussion of the curl. Of course not. So, and here we transition to nighttime. And it is, I, I said earlier that it takes place most of the night. I was mistaken. It actually only takes place half of it takes place at night. So, um, but yes, this is the first of two Halloween episodes. And what I was saying at the beginning about getting it confused with scared as I think part of the reason is that again, part that I wasn't exposed to it as much, but also partly because scared airs is one of the few season two episodes that features Matt and Tanya. So, cause they left, well, after that, they left right after scared Airs, actually. Right. Yeah, this is a nice little piece of uh, of railroad footage that they got for um, for the episode. It is I, and and they did this in seasons two and beyond. But I really like the use of railway footage in season one. It's a very, it gives it a very nice feel. Yeah, it's a, it's just a, it's a bit more quaint. I, I think quaint is a great word to describe. 
practice for a season. It's 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 just c- calm, quiet, inoffensive, yes. but nothing exactly. too remarkable. Exactly. And I like the stuffed animal that Tanya has. I was one of the stuffed animal like that because it has a unique look to it. Yeah, absolutely. Is this the first time that we saw Mr. Conductor in any in his pajamas? It must have been because we had, wouldn't have any other episodes at night by this point, would we? Yeah, I believe it's definitely the first one in, in his in his pajamas. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting that the long nightcap. Um, would come back in Thomas and the Magic Railroad, of course. It would. Yeah, I mean, this, I get I get why they picked Wooly Bear because it was the next episode of season two. So if they were just plunking them in, um, you know, episode by episode, and it, and it immediately follows uh, Ghost Train, um, that makes sense. Although they weren't that concerned about continuity, I think, um, going forward. Because they, they would mix episodes all the time. But uh, I... I, I think this one feels a, a bit shoehorned into the episode. Yes. The only reason that I can find that they put in Wooly Bear at all is because it does reference Ghost Train. At the very beginning, they make... they It's it's not a very clear reference, but they do make reference to Ghost Train at the very beginning with Percy's ghostly whistle. Right, absolutely. Yeah, and that, that's exactly what I was saying. I get why they did that, but um, perhaps uh, uh, if they had put it, if they had instead picked a different episode and put Wooly Bear in a different in an episode, a different Shiny Time Station episode later, I, I don't think that they would have cared very much, or, or it would have no. mattered because uh, over the years there they would put episodes that weren't even related, um, and they would put them all out of order anyway. So right, exactly. Plus, of course, it's. I always liked Wooly Bear, and and we will do into this later when we get around to doing our season two commentaries. But uh, Wooly Bear, both the Ringo and George Carlin narrations, is one of my not in my top five necessarily, but among one of my favorite episodes of season two. I'm not sure that I would put it that high, but I do enjoy it. Um, uh. Season two is definitely very Percy centric, um, yes. And so uh, sometimes I get, when I sometimes when I watch it, I get tired of Percy, so I don't I you know don't really feel like watching it. I feel like this is an episode that I uh, I've been hot and cold on over the years. There are, uh, period are periods where I uh, I really like it, and then there are periods where I just kind of skip over it. I don't feel like watching, and I, I'm not sure quite sure what it is. Um, I, I think over it's a good story. Um, I think right. Tramway Engines in general is a is a, a pretty strong book, especially considering that it was his last uh, book that he full book that he wrote. Yeah. Um, and it's uh, certainly a nice collection of of stories on the Farquhar branch. But this one, I'm not sure. Um, we'll go into it in more detail. When yeah. we do our season two commentaries, for sure. Oh, definitely. But it is nice hearing Ringo's comment, uh, Ringo's narration on this. Although, of course, 
Yeah, Ringo's, I should say, Ringo's U.S. narration on this. Um, but of course, over the years, um, I've listened to Ringo's U.K. narration, uh, yeah, a lot because of uh, because of the advent of YouTube. So, well, that's that's the how I watched most of season one of Shining the Time Station is via well, YouTube. And and I do believe that all of it is now. I believe that all of Shining the Time Station is. Now available there. For now. <laughs> For now, yes. So, it's interesting because this is the penultimate episode of season one of Shining Time Station. Um, and I say that because tis a gift while technically it has the season one cast or at least most of it uh tis a gift is kind of its own thing it's not really part of season one but it's also not really season two either it's sort of you know they were filming in toronto uh, but they still had most of the same cast and so it's sort of the jumping off point for season one and to an extent uh not not quite a jumping on point for season two, but it's it's a transitional episode. And so it's interesting watching things that go to Hoot in the night, uh, knowing, as we know now, that this is one of the uh, last episodes that people would have seen for almost a year. True. Absolutely. Now that we finally did a close-up of him, I, I find it... I, I'd, Again, a comment on Ringo's pajamas. Uh, I hadn't noticed until we had that cl- close-up that they have trains on them, which is a nice touch because, you know, conductor. <laughs> and, of course, now we get into the more spooky elements of the episode. And... A hand putting a coin into the jukebox. And we get our first shot of the jukebox puppet band. It's We're a good 20 minutes in, and this is the first we're seeing of the jukebox puppet band. Because in season one, of course, they didn't really show them until later on sometimes, whereas in later seasons, the jukebox puppet band would be Almost right at the beginning. Right, absolutely. And and even culminating in their own direct-to-video special. Right. But, uh... Now, this song here is uh, Clementine. And it's Rory Dodd doing the singing voices for uh, Tets and Rats. I really like this version of Clementine. Clementine's never been one of my favorite songs, but I really like this version of it. I I agree. Yeah, it's um, it's uh, it, it's not a song that I necessarily would uh, say that I would uh, go out of my way to listen to <laughs> a, a cover of or a recording of. But this one, uh, but uh, this this one does nicely. It does. And of course, you know, when I was younger, I thought that 
you know, the guys that did the puppetry for them were doing the singing voice. Now, of course, we know different. And as I said, this is, in fact, Rory Dodd doing the singing voice for uh, the Boy Brothers. Oh, it is quite interesting that this episode aired um, in June of 1989. <laughs> it is. Um, it's uh, curious if um, they originally started production and uh, were, were hoping to be on uh, in the fall of 88 rather than in the, uh, rather than in the uh, winter and spring of 89. I'm not entirely sure, but yeah. Uh, that would make sense as to why they would have a Halloween-based episode, especially when they could only show these episodes a maximum of two or three times within the space of a year or two. Um, because that was a rule of uh, the PBS affiliates that they were pitched up by. It was a studio mandate that they could only show so many reruns of this first season. Right. It reminds me actually of another uh, famous Halloween based film that came out in the summer of 1993, Hocus Pocus. Um, it came out in the summer of 1993, but it's a Halloween movie. Right. And a cult classic, deservedly so. Oh, yes. I think it is interesting. A lot of Shining Time Station is based on, of course, how things are during childhood. And it really taps into how kids feel. And there are certain things like a railway station that look very different at night than they do in the daytime. And obviously nothing physically changes about it, but, you know, the shadows and uh, the darkness, of course, it doesn't help that Steamer is dressing up as a ghost. But... <laughs> his outfit in this episode is a lot less uh, flashy than his other later outfits would be as well. It is. Uh, but, uh, definitely just a, a bit more simple. More of a used car salesman in this one as opposed to uh, in the other ones, he, you know, full checkered suits and, and the like. Right. I do like that uh, he, he's holding it in his hand currently, but I do like that when he was dressed as a ghost, his ghost was wearing a blue baseball cap. Right. So. And I believe, if I'm correct, that this is the episode that convinces Steamer that the station is haunted. I be- yeah, but believe so definitely, and um, I don't know if I if I hung out in that station all the time too, I might think it was haunted. <laughs> That's true. Oh, I just think that there was just something about that place. I don't know. Well, Stacy certainly believes that there's just something about this place. That effect with the close-up of the masts with the uh, lightning in the background, that was really cool. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely one of the uh, uh, 
more unique elements of, of filming that they did in this in this episode particularly, but really um, in all of them because pretty much they were they just kind of a pretty standard you know master shot of the set um, and then maybe some close ups here and there, um, but n- nothing too adventurous most of the well, time. No. Especially not in season one, because, you know, it was a new series. It didn't have a huge budget. And so there wasn't that much that they could really do. Right. And this is an interesting ending with them saying uh, goodnight to everybody. It's very Walton-esque. If if anyone's ever seen the Waltons, they used to say goodnight to each other (laughs) at the end of every episode. So... And uh, that's um, that is things that go to Hooja in the night, the season one Halloween episode. Um, personally, as we've said in previous episodes, season one has never been one of my favorites. I've never really felt that much of a connection to it. Although things that go to Hooja in the night is probably one of the highlights of it. Um, yeah, I, I just thought it was a good episode. What, what are your final thoughts on the Jojo Hood and the Night? Uh, yeah, it's a it's a fine episode. It's definitely one of the one of the highlights of season one. Um, I, I would echo your statement that um, I, I think that we would uh, hopefully have a lot more to say when it comes to seasons uh, two and beyond, um, and especially season three. That that's the season that I'm most familiar with. Um, yeah. and, uh, and that, that's the, the one that I um, grew up with too, um, at least in a, in a, uh, to a minimum extent. Um, but, um, but yeah, uh, this is uh, definitely one of the better ones of season one. Yes. All right. Well, um, thanks a bunch for listening and, uh, we hope that you have enjoyed this commentary of things that go to who and then things that go to who in the night, uh, the first ever shining time station, Halloween episode and the penultimate episode of season one. So, uh, find us on Facebook, uh, talking Thomas and Twitter at talking Thomas one. Um, and, uh, Uh, We hope that you have a very happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. You can find us also on uh, Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and uh, many other platforms. So long.